Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here again. And a special welcome to those watching on the internet. And I'm going to say a special welcome and hello to my mum and dad. They watch every week from York, so hi, mum. And uh, it's good that you're here. We're glad that you're here. I'm going to pray before we start because I know... Thank you so much, Steve. There are a couple of families that have been uh, evacuated from the Rock Creek Fire, and we just think it would be good to pray for you, those who have been affected by it. So let's just spend a couple of minutes just praying for, for that whole situation, okay? Father, we, there are so many mysteries and so many questions that we have, Lord, and um, Lord, it's difficult to understand, it's difficult to know why. But Father, we thank you that we can find our hope and our rest in you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for that fire to uh, reside quickly. Lord, we pray that the weather will be working with the firefighters and the wildfire teams. Lord, we thank you for those men and women that risk their lives and work so hard at this time. God, we pray for extra energy and perseverance uh, for them. Lord, we thank you that we live in a country that we have this ability to be able to fight fires like this. But Lord, we pray for the families that uh, have lost homes and property. Lord, we pray you'll be especially close to them, our loved ones. We thank you, God, that no lives were lost. But God, we just ask now for a very quick, quick resolution to this whole disaster. We pray this in your precious and good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles or your mobile devices, you can turn to Jude. It's the book just before Revelation, and uh, that, would be, uh, that would be wonderful. As I'm getting older and my children getting older, my eldest is 21 and I have an 18-year-old daughter as well, the, the, my two girls are especially good at, uh, at saying something to me that immediately makes me shudder, and, it, and it's this. It says, Dad, do you remember when you said, and then they, whatever it was at the end, it doesn't matter, because it just seems time and time again, I forget. I just can't remember what they say, and they use this against me. I know I'm in trouble. As soon as they say, Dad, do you remember when you said, no. Well, and then they tell me where we were, what I was wearing, what we were eating, what the music was, you know, what the weather was like, you know, and they have so much detail, and I'm completely useless at remembering things like that. And I have a theory as to why it is that as I get older, uh, I'm forgetting things more. My theory is, is my mind is filled with internet website passwords. (laughs) I can't put anything else in because my mind is filled with capital letters, numbers, underscores, symbols. And you know, when you open that first account and and then it gives you their verdict of your password, weak. Well, thank you. I'm so encouraged, and you try and think of another one. You know that you're not going to remember this thing. You know, I asked last night how many people have the password, password one, two, three, four. Don't don't put your hands up. You need to do a better job at your passwords. I, I understand why you're doing it, because it's easy to remember, but please change that password as quickly as you can. It's weak. It's weak. But then there's always a saving grace at the bottom of these. When you go back, you've invariably forgotten what the password was, and they go and they say, sometimes I can barely remember my email and username, but you know, I put that in, then password, no. And then it says very patronizingly at the bottom, forgotten your password? <laughs> Parenthesis, idiot. You know, yeah, that, that's me. So you click that, they send you an email, and it's all good. You get to set up another password that you'll forget next time that you visit the website. It's a perfect system. It's wonderful. We tend to forget things very easily, and the longer I think as Christians we are 
Christians, we forget what it means to be a Christian. And as Phil has already welcomed those maybe who haven't been in church for a long time, or maybe you're just exploring Christianity and and everything that Christianity means, today we're going to just spend a little while just reminding ourselves what Christianity is. So this is a great time for you to lean in and just get a little bit more understanding of what it means to be a Christian. See, if we forget what Christianity is about, then it leads to discouragement, leads to a lack of peace, leads to timidity, it leads to so many areas in our lives where we just feel like we're distant from God. And maybe that's your testimony this morning, that you you are a Christian, but you just feel disconnected, you feel like there's just not that strength of, of relationship and fellowship that you had with God. So this morning, what Jude is going to do for us is he's going to allow us to press that button and and, and say, can you just remind me? Can you just remind me what it means to be a Christian? And so let's just read the first couple of verses from Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Let's just stop there just for a second. Brother of James. Now we need to understand that Jude, or as some versions still call it, Judas, um, was actually the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. And yet he doesn't refer to himself as the brother of Jesus. He refers to himself as the servant of Jesus. Now, let's be honest. If you and I were Jude, and our brother, our biological brother, from the mother's side, was Jude, would we not name drop? Hi, my name's Glenn. Brother of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Son of God, brother. Do you not, you not think we would name drop just a little bit? But Jude is the opposite. He has got such humility. He doesn't even refer to himself as the brother of Jesus. He refers to himself as the brother of James, who was the brother of Jesus. Now, I think about my brothers and sisters, and I think about, uh, I, I've got five brothers, and, and, and none of them, I, I, I can assure you, <laughs> you know, if you said to me, yeah, Son of God, Yeah, Mm. I have lots of stories and lots of reasons why I know that they are not the Son of God, you know, just the the, the various different things that were going on at the time of my growing up. But Jesus so convinced his family after the resurrection that Jude's life was completely changed. He ended up being a missionary and, 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 and was crucified like his brother, Jesus. This is a humble man writing what is quite a stern letter But before he does that, he he introduces himself and he says, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Very briefly, the theme of Jude. Jude likes threes. We're going to look at three things today. There are three overall themes within the book of Jude. And very quickly there, there he tells us that we're to contend for our faith in verse 3, for the gospel, because it was being attacked by people who were saying that Jesus was not divine. And then in verse 21 he tells us that we need to keep our hearts. We need to contend for our hearts because we have a tendency as Christians to wonder. And then in verse 22 he says that we are to contend for others, to be patient with those who are being led astray. So three areas that we need to contend. But before, that's what we need to do as Christians, but before we're able to do that, we need to press the remind me button as to how we do it, why we do those things. 
So who lives this kind of life? Well, we're going to have three points. We're going to move through them quite quickly and and camp out longer on the first point, which is this. Number one, he tells us as Christians, the reminder is this. Christians in the room, he says, to those who are called. To those who are called. Friends, if you are a Christian today, if you believe in Jesus, if you surrendered your life to him, whenever you did that, I have a word for you that should encourage you in those times when you feel distant, those times you might feel useless, those times you might feel lonely and and disconnected. I have a word for you, and the word is this, called. You were called by God, not because you deserved it. Not because you were smarter than other people or better looking or richer or bolder or more connected spiritually. Not for any of those reasons. You were called by God and God's grace alone. He called you. He wanted you. You are approved by him. You are accepted by him. You were brought close by him. You are significant. He wanted you. You are not an accident. He wanted you. Is there any greater feeling for a human being than to know that you are wanted by somebody else? We have this innate uh, desire to be connected, to be wanted, to have a sense of belonging. And God says, look, you, you, will, you can find this belonging in the world, but no matter what that feeling might be of wanted in the world, he ups it, he amps it, and he says, the God of the universe wants you. That should give us great hope and confidence that even in the darkest of times you know that he wanted you, he called you. Now there are some really important theological truths in this word. And, and it causes us some angst because it's a mystery. And it's this, the Bible clearly says that you came to God Because God first came to you. He called you first. You love God because he first loved you. It was God's initiation. Your salvation, your connection with God, your coming to Jesus was initiated by God. He found you. You did not find God. First of all, he was never lost. He found you. And the reason we know that is the Bible, especially in the New Testament, in Paul's teaching, it makes it very, very clear that if it hadn't been for God coming to search for you and drawing you, as the Bible says, and calling you and wooing you, if it wasn't for that, we would not have come. There is nothing inside of the human heart that leans into God without God drawing them. In Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. The Bible describes the human heart as hostile towards God, as dead towards God. There is nothing wanting us, there's nothing inside us that wants God. Now this is a difficult idea for us, because what it means is is God says, I want you. And then he initiates a process through the Holy Spirit and conviction, sometimes over many years, drawing you, wooing you closer and closer to him, until you come to that point where you surrender. Your conversion, Christians, we need to remember, did not start with you. And that's an encouragement 
Because it means he wanted you. He called you. See, we know this to be true. If I think about when I became a Christian some 24 years ago, I was a million miles away from Jesus for a long, long time. All I was interested in was partying with my friends and, and just kind of hanging out and just doing social stuff. And, and, and that's, I had no interest in God at all until one day, out of the blue, I suddenly started thinking about the state of my heart. Now, I use very Christian words, state of my heart. But that just sense of, this isn't right. Where did that come from, friends? It's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. While I was at my very worst, when I was at my most lost, God found me. Many years ago when my children were very small and were just toddlers, we, uh, on Christmas Eve, which is always a bad time of year to go shopping, uh, my wife and I decided to take, we had two at the time, two little ones to go shopping in Chester City Center. And, and Chester is a very, very busy town anyway. It's a beautiful Tudor city and it's all pedestrianized. It's a gorgeous city. And, and it's just ram filled with shops. And then Christmas Eve, literally, you, you, if you looked across the people uh, going down the high street, it just looks like they're on mass just walking together. It's hundreds, thousands of people. And we needed to do last minute shopping. And so we went to a store that I, I got told this morning was actually American owned. I didn't realize that, but called Woolworths or Woolies as we called it. It's, it's not, it doesn't exist now, but every town had a Woolies. And we were laughing because that's, that's where my dad's watching. I'm going to be so ashamed because he was a policeman, but that's where I found some stuff to get that I didn't buy. Sorry, dad. I just, didn't, I just suddenly came to my mind. I'm confessing this. Sorry, Dad. But Woolworths was, was uh, I was 23. I was naive. No, I'm joking. I wasn't 23. Far from it. But it, Woolworths was very, very busy in the toy department. We got our two little ones, Sarah, my wife, and I, and we go and we're looking at toys. I had hold of my little guys so tight. Not a problem. We decided not to take the stroller. It's too busy. Hand-holding systems. Foolproof. So we're holding our two little ones, and we go into Woolworths, and we're looking at toys, and I look down, and, and it's like, where's he gone? I didn't even notice that he had pulled his hand out of my hand and wandered off. And immediately, those of you who are parents or grandparents in the room, or babysitters, even worse, <laughs> you lose a child. Oh, it's no laughing. You just feel sick instantly. Sarah, I tell Sarah... She just starts crying because she looks across and just sees so many people and this little one wandering around and I talk to somebody in the store and then the search starts. It's an amazing picture of the way sometimes we pull ourselves away from God and go wandering off. But I started looking and we were people looking and I'm looking through the crowd and I'm looking for my, my little one. And I would have done anything, anything to have found him. You'll do anything. You, you're just so desperate to be reconnected. What a beautiful picture of the love of God. That he will come looking for you, searching for you. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding. He will come and say, where are you? He initiates that because he loves us. And to finish the story, what seemed like such an eternity, one of these store workers was walking towards me and I was able to look through and I could just see the shock of red hair that he had at the time. And I knew that it was my son. And then you just run, right? It gets very dramatic then. You're elbowing people out of the way. You don't care. You just hold him. 
and you hold him. And he's completely oblivious. Completely oblivious. You see, we find this difficult that God initiates because we place ourselves center of our own lives. We think that we are in control of our own lives. And as we've heard this, this week, this tragedy with this young man who passed away, just life reminds us we're not in any control. We're not in any control. You didn't find God. He found you. We think it started when we prayed. It started way before that. Because if you think about it, what do we pray? God change their hearts. Why do we pray that? If we don't truly believe that God is the one that changes hearts. And some of you might be saying, well, Glenn, this sounds awfully Calvinistic. Okay, well, first of all, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And secondly, if you read Calvinism, you'll actually find that this idea of total depravity is the same in both camps, Armenian and Calvinism. They have no disagreement that, that you will not find God by yourself. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, I believe that you are here because God initiated something inside your mind and heart to come to church to hear these words. I believe that it is not a coincidence that you're in earshot of the worship and the words. That's how God works. You think you made the decision to come to church today. You didn't. That was God. You see, he initiates these beautiful little moments. They're like, they're like links in a chain, sometimes spanning years. See, Calvinism and Armenianism, they, they believe the same thing, that, that, that we are totally depraved without God. Now, they change at that moment. They have differing views as to what happens when you come to that point of conviction. But this idea of God finding you, that's not a human Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to decide today just to find God. That is not how it works. This is wonderful news because he wants you. He looked for you. He wooed you. He loves you. And there are many in this room that need to be reminded of that today. That he cares for you. Number two. You are beloved in God the Father. So Jude says, I want you to remember that you are called. And then he says, I want you to remember that you are the beloved. We sometimes doubt that God loves us. I think we have this image of God leaning forward in his throne, ready and eager to discipline us because he barely tolerates you. Like He has this stern look on his face like, knew it, see, Gabriel, come look, see, told you, messed up again. That's not the way it works. That's not the way the Bible speaks about you. God talks in very intimate ways when he talks about his children. He loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He's not disappointed in you Christians. He's not eager to discipline all the time. And if you doubt the love of God, it affects everything. If you doubt that God really loves you, at your very core, every aspect of you, because after all, he created you the way you are, if you doubt that, it will affect the way you read the Bible. It'll affect the way you pray. It'll affect the way that you uh, share your faith. I believe that the number one reason why people find it hard to commit to coming to church each week is because they've forgotten that they're loved by God. I believe church attendance is directly affected by how much people remember they are loved by God. 
Because if we remember this, it changes everything the way that we live our lives. Because what we do is we see life through the lens that I am loved by a God, an eternal God, who is above and higher than everything that I see you can touch. I want to get to church. I want to celebrate. I want to worship him. I want to volunteer. I want to join a community group. I want to give my time. I want to give my money to this God who loves me. If we live in the present reality of God's love, it changes everything. It's a beautiful thing. Not only are you loved, the Bible tells me, Christians... You're liked. He likes you. That's a weird thing to say. We don't often hear that in church. We hear God loves you. We don't often hear that God actually likes you. He's fond of you. He enjoys you. He enjoys your life. He enjoys it when you worship Him. Listen to this scripture. Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Isn't that beautiful? Just, Glenn, just calm down. Some of you are thinking that now. This guy needs just to calm down. This is exciting stuff. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Can you imagine how good a singer God is? He's perfect. He has the perfect singing voice, the perfect choice of song, and he sings it over your life because he likes you. See, don't look for a reason inside yourself as to why he loves you and likes you. You won't find one. All you'll find is reason to condemn yourself and judge yourself. And the Bible says there is no condemnation. Some of you feel condemned today. Some of you feel convicted. And that's a good thing. Because you need to come to Jesus who died on the cross for those sins that you feel convicted about. And as you pray and ask for forgiveness and surrender to that, his promise to come into your life and change you forever is sound and unchanging. And there are many in this room who can testify how it changed their life forever. If that's you, that sense of conviction is the Holy Spirit and a good thing. That's a, that's a kind of a, a, a guilt that God uses. But this overriding sense of guilt and shame that some Christians feel, that's not godly. Even at your very worst, God loves you. At your best day, like you're getting up at 4 a.m., reading your Bible for two hours, praying for every missionary you can think of, singing Chris Tomlin songs as you go shopping, (laughs) you know, making dozens of those MCC bags that Chris was talking about. Like at your very best, God loves you. And then that day where just everything goes wrong, you kick the dog, you argue with your husband or your wife, you know, you're barely scraping through, you're just angry, you just feel distant from God. Hey, guess what? God loves you. God loves you. Why does he love us? He just does. <laughs> it's not very, not very theological, is it? In fact, there's been lots written about why God loves us, and the end result of it, some beautiful Puritan writing about it, is that God loves us because he loves us. Why do you love that newborn baby? That baby has brought nothing but pain and annoyance for the mums in the room, you know, running to the toilet all times of the night, for the dads in the room, that really tight grip when you stood by the bed, that hurt, Sarah. Calm down. 
I tried gas and air with our first one. Just a quick sneak of the gas and air. It made me feel really sick. I had to sit down. <laughs> but this baby, this baby's brought nothing to your existence. Why do you love it? You just do. As they grow up, I think of one of my children. I tell him off because he wrote on the wall. I send him to his bedroom. What's he do in response? He pees in the corner of his bedroom. <laughs> brought nothing to my life. You send me to my bedroom, Dad? I'm going to show you. They bring nothing. They bring beautiful things, don't get me wrong. They really do. They're wonderful. But why do we love our kids? We love them because we love them. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. That's so encouraging. Number three, we are kept for Jesus Christ. Kept for Jesus Christ. What a beautiful word. We are called, we're beloved, we're kept. We're called, we're loved, we're kept. Verse 1 is expanded in verse 24, and we're going to be jumping into this a little bit next week as we look at the tension between how we are, God keeps us, and how we are to keep ourselves. How does that work? It's a bit of a, a biblical tension. We're going to jump into that next week, but verse 24 says this, now to him, this is God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So be it. He will keep you. It is not your effort or power that keeps you connected to God. He does that. It's all about him and his initiation when he called you, his initiation when he loves you, and his initiation as he keeps you. When you feel discouraged, when you feel far away, when you feel distant from him, when you feel incapable of living life in the way that you know you should, he will keep you from stumbling. It's like God gives us a divine, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Why? Because he keeps us. This week has been an interesting week for, um, for, for the, uh, the Collins family. It's been an interesting week for the Madden family as well. I got a phone call on Thursday from my wife who had gone camping with our son and another church family, Tracy and Pete Bennett, at Kettle River Campground. Yes. She called me and she said this, Glenn, I don't want to panic you, but we can't get out of the campground because of the fire, and the emergency services can't get to us. We're trapped. Okay. I'll just get back to you. I've just got to finish my coffee. No. (laughs) You know, there aren't many phone calls you get like that. And I said, well, love, what's, what's the plan? And I don't want to give into great detail, but they eventually found themselves on the Iron Bridge, and they're looking at trees candling in front of them. The, the emergency services can't get to them. And, you know, this isn't a good situation. This is the sort of stuff of movies. Those of you who have seen Backdraft, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's not a good situation to be in. And yet, when I spoke to my wife about it, this is what she said. You know, she said, Glenn, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. They eventually escaped running through the forest, the forest that they didn't know whether it was on fire or not, and got picked up on the other side of the forest. We praise God for that. 
They're actually heading back there now to see whether the, the stuff that they left behind is, is, is okay or not, and who cares, right? But she said, I just felt Jesus at that moment. She said, it's going to be okay. That's her exact words. She said, I just felt Jesus say it was going to be okay. So Phil, I see your burning engine fire, and I raise you a forest fire, my friend. <laughs> No, we were laughing about it. We're like, what kind of week is this? This is crazy. So maybe our van is there. I don't know. He'll keep you when you feel desperate and dark and confused. When life feels overwhelming and difficult, he will keep you. Spurgeon said this. I love the quotes from Spurgeon's sermons. He said this. Remember this, just like Jude. Remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. If any other condition had been better for you than the one in which you are right now, divine love, God would have put you there. This is part of his story for you, even if it is difficult and dark and and lonely and hard. And our hearts go out to you and we love you and want to help you and pray for you. We're not being flippant about life. We understand how difficult life can be. But how much better is it when you have God involved? You see, we're often as pastors and as Christians accused and and said, well, how can there be a loving God when, and then fill in the gap, when there is children dying or starvation or little ones passing? I tell you, there is nothing harder for a pastor than to lead a funeral for little ones. I've done it. Phil has done it. It's desperate. How can there be a loving God when? So my answer is always this. Okay, let's take God out of the situation. Let's say God doesn't exist. How does the situation improve? Does the cancer disappear now? Does the sorrow go away? Does the helplessness disappear? You see, with God in the situation, there is a hope. There is a keeping. There is a closeness. There's a story. There's a plan. And even in the darkest times as a Christian, we can hold on to that truth that we are kept by the eternal God. It is His love. It is His calling. It is His life. It is His keeping. We are called to hold on to Him as He holds on to us. Just like a mom or a dad holds on to a little one's hand and they stumble and, and then you, you hold them up. Yes, the little one is holding the hand of the mum or dad, but more than anything, the dad or the mum is holding the child of the little one. And that's the picture of God. He's holding. And sometimes our grip weakens, and he holds that a little bit tighter. We're called. We're loved. We're kept. And it's fixed forever. Now and forever, Jude wants you to know. Friends, as I finish and, and, uh, and I head over to the south and preach this all over again, which is great, and hand it over to Phil, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I've told you, and Judah's reminded us that as Christians, we are called, we are loved, and we are kept. And I have said to those of you who perhaps do not know Jesus, never surrendered your life to him, do you know that calling? Can you sense it here this morning? Do not leave this place before you have listened to Phil's instructions and help and prayer and and, and come to the place where you surrender your life so you can sense that feeling of hope and love and forgiveness. 
Christians, can you confidently say, I am loved by God? I'm kept by God. I'm called by God. Because if we can say that, and we can say that to ourselves, preach it to yourself every day this week. I tell you, it will, it will change the way we see life. Can you say that with certainty? Are you feeling that sense of call tonight? Can you hear that call just like God walking through the garden, calling out to Adam and Eve? It's not like he knew exactly where they were. Where are you? He asked the question for them to consider the question themselves. Where, where are you? Friends, have you forgotten? Where are you? I believe God, the Holy Spirit, is here today to convict, to woo, to draw, to remind you of how loved you are. So much so that he was willing to give his life for those who believe in him to eternal life. And that invitation is open to everyone. Is he speaking to you right now about that? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we're humbled and grateful for the way that you call us. As Phil has already said today, that you speak to us, that there's this sense of calling in our lives, each and every one of us in this room. Lord, I pray now that you would speak. Lord, thank you that we are loved. That Jesus, that you gave your life. You gave and you sacrificed yourself in demonstration of that love. So that we could be forgiven. And that, Lord, you keep us. Lord, I know there are some in the room who need to be reminded of that word specifically. You are kept now and forever. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.